This week on a lively experiment, the attorney general has a date in court next month to answer for one of his social media posts. And hundreds of faculty members at Brown University are calling for criminal charges against protesting students to be dropped. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel this week, Providence Journal reporter Amy Russo, attorney and legal analyst Lou Pulner, and political contributor Pablo Rodriguez. Hello and welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. Attorney General Peter Narona has been increasingly active this past year on social media, particularly on the platform called X, formerly known as Twitter. One of his posts apparently caught the attention of a Superior Court judge presiding over a trial that the Attorney General had some musings about, just as the trial was about to conclude. The judge has ordered Narona to appear before him December 5th. Let's go to our resident legal analyst here. Lou, how unusual is this and how serious is it? It's very unusual how serious it is. I mean, Nerona's term limited. This is his last go around for AG. So I don't think it's that serious. The question is, is he going to be upgraded in chambers or in open court? Uh, and the, so the, the viewers have an understanding of what happened here. Uh, in the Rhode Island state court system, a defendant can ask for a bench trial, meaning no jury, uh, whereas, and, and the state cannot object. In the federal court system, both parties have to agree that there'll be no jury and that a judge will hear this matter. So uh, in this case, it was jury waived and it was just a bench trial by Judge Procaccini. And what Nerona did was intimated that people who go before Procaccini always waive a jury because they get favorable results. Almost like judge shopping. Exactly. And in this case, uh, he also insinuated that, you know, some judges just don't ever have jury trials. So he was really, he, he, was, he was attacking the integrity of Judge Procaccini, which uh, I, I think was a mistake, number one, because I think Judge Procaccini has a lot of integrity. Two, he's done hundreds of jury trials. And it was just last week that he also found, after a bench trial, no jury, he found a guy uh, guilty on eight counts of uh, drug trafficking. So uh, let me just suggest that Attorney General Nerona's uh, choice of words were injudicious. Yeah. What do you make of this, Pablo? Listen, I think that this is the Trump effect uh, being displayed uh, in the public. Uh, politicians feel the sense that, you know, it worked for Trump, that he can go on Twitter and say, formerly known as Twitter, X, um, that he can go on, on Twitter and say whatever he wants and it actually helps him. It's a whole different situation when an attorney general is criticizing a judge and intimating that this judge is corrupt. I mean, that's the intimation uh, uh, that, that, that he's making. Uh, it, it really makes it in my opinion, it makes it worse when then there's a reaction. Most of these tweets, people don't 
even see. Because most people aren't on Twitter. That's right. That's yeah. right. But when you make it news, when you get a reaction and make it a big reaction, then everybody goes to, uh, to read the tweet. So it really it doesn't help either party when you create uh, a, a controversy, when in reality it, it should just be let, let go. And we have rules of professional conduct that we're guided by not just the lawyers, but also the attorney general and even judges. You can't disparage the legal system. Uh, you can't disparage other lawyers. And you certainly can't disparage a judge. And that's kind of what we got here in this bowl of soup. A judge where you have a case before. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the exactly. larger issue, though, Amy, is so, so many more public figures using Twitter. We're on it all the time as uh, reporters. Uh, the attorney general, it's hard not to notice over the last year that he's really been putting more out. Absolutely, yes. And from the perspective of a reporter or a journalist, it's certainly unusual. Of course, every time you interact with a public official, try and get an interview with a public official, a comment, usually the middleman is a spokesperson. And it's usually that person who crafts their tweets. It's very clear Nerona has been crafting his own tweets, <laughs> admittedly. On Wednesday, he tweeted that the public deserves directly to hear from him. And um, I think it's a very unconventional approach. Yeah, uh, and it'll be up to the voters ultimately. You know, it's interesting, Pablo, because he has said repeatedly, I'm not going to run for governor, I'm not going to run for governor. And then, I mean, a lot of people are like, why are you doing all this if you're not running for governor? Please, he's doing fundraisers for what purpose? Mm -hmm. uh, just to have money in the bank? Uh, he is running for governor. It's pretty obvious. The fact that he's doing all this tweets, it's basically to raise his you know, public profile and name recognition in order to have a campaign for governor. Let me, let me just say that I, I think that Attorney General Nerona has done an excellent job over the course of his career. I agree. Uh, and this is just like, you know, a, a blurb and he, he shouldn't happen. But I think overall, I didn't want to leave the impression that he hasn't been great. He's settled huge cases for huge amounts of money for the state of Rhode Island and he's been very aggressive, so I, I, I want to make that clear. Well, and from the reporter's perspective, as you had said, accessible. I mean, what I've never had a situation where I haven't been able to call him and get him on. That's a lot different than his predecessor who, like, you know, you didn't even know if he was in state. Let me just ask you uh, legally, how does this, so we don't know what's going through the judge's mind. We can kind of put two and two together, as you do in the legal profession. How do you see this playing out on that hearing on December 5th? What are the potential scenarios? Well, like I said, there is, is, there is an ethics code. Or a code of uh, professional responsibility. Uh, he could talk with the attorney general again, whether it's an open court or whether it's in chambers, we don't know. But uh, ultimately, the judge could refer him to the ethics, ethics commission uh, or the disciplinary council of the state of Rhode Island, run by the Supreme Court, saying that he violated uh, the, the rules. He, he, he disparaged the court system and he should be censured. Final thought on that, Pablo? Oh, absolutely. I think that that's what's going to happen. Uh, and it's going to be public. I mean, th there's no way that he's calling for him into his chambers, no. you know, <laughs> secretly and quietly. Agreed. Nothing to uh, see here, Pablo. Nothing right? to see here. No, no. This is going to be public and this is going to be ugly. All right. The other thing we uh, should let you know, Pablo is a member of the board uh, here at Rhode Island PBS. We just want to disclose that. But, Pablo, you've been on, you've been on Lively a lot longer than you've been on the board, so it's good, it's good to have you back. Thank you. Uh, let's go on to our next topic. A lot has been going on, uh, particularly with Israel and Gaza, since the uh, war began in early October. And it's hitting home here. There are a couple of issues. We really haven't covered this on Lively the last couple of weeks, but we figured now would be a good time. The latest is there are 20 Brown University students who were arrested uh, for trespassing after a 
uh, protest that got a little bit out of hand. The Providence police were involved. And now it's interesting, Amy, you've been covering this. 200 faculty members have signed on and said, we think the charges should be dropped. So bring us up to date on where things are. Sure. So just for any uh, viewers that haven't been keeping up, um, this was maybe a couple weeks ago. 20 Jewish students had a sit-in at Brown in University Hall. They were warned multiple times while University Hall was closing down that they needed to leave. It came past 5 o'clock and they were arrested and charged with trespassing. Then, recently, a letter came out from now just over 200 faculty who signed on. The list has been growing. And they have asked for no consequences for those students. They want the charges dropped. And they want conversation reopened on the students' demands, which were a couple things. They want uh, the university to promote a ceasefire in Gaza. And they also want divestment on behalf of the university from any uh, weapons manufacturers. A little bit of background, a 2020 report that came from uh, both faculty and students at the university identified companies like Boeing, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman as things that the university was investing in at that point. That's policy and political bumping up against criminal charges. What do you what do you make? You were on the faculty of the medical school, so you weren't in the middle of these protests a lot. But what do you make of this? Okay, what damage could 20 students do in a building that is closest at 5 o'clock? Nothing. I think this was an overreaction by the administration. Uh, they should have just let the kids, you know, just stay there and do their protests because universities are the place where these kinds of expressions uh, are, are, are made. Um, and, uh, and they have a, a point to make. And again, it's, it's what you make of the situation. This situation is now worse for the administration, for the administration of Brown, by uh, arresting the students, by charging them. Now they have a real you know, pickle uh, in, in their hands uh, trying to clean up uh, a situation that should have been handled much more delicately by just saying, you want to stay, stay. You know, we'll have a, a policeman just to make sure that there's no damage to the, to the building. They were not setting the building on fire. They were not destroying the building. They were just sitting there expressing their point of view. Um, and it's a point of view that, you know, many people in this country and in the world are also uh, having. Look, clean up on aisle seven. If I was the administration, <laughs> I would have probably brought in Chick-fil-A and fed them. That would have been the way just to, in my opinion. But again, they've been charged with trespass and legal counsel or the president has to make a decision that we're not going to go forward. We're going to dismiss these charges because only Brown University can. Uh, but is that true? Is it not in the hands of the Providence police now? Well, the Providence police were the arresting <clears throat> authority, were they not? Yeah, but you're not going to see many police departments make charges and then just say, we're going to let it go. No, so that's what I'm saying. There was Brown a legal basis for the arrest. Well, I get that, but in, in terms of the process, and Amy can elaborate after I get your legal analysis, Brown then would have to, and this is what the faculty members are saying, Brown would have to go to the Providence police proactively and say, look, we want you to drop these charges. But the police don't necessarily have to do that, do no, they? No, they don't, but they will. And I'll tell you why. I've been prosecuting for a very, very long time. We get a lot of domestic abuse charges. Husband hits wife, wife hits husband. You have to arrest. You have to arrest, but you don't have to prosecute because one of the, 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 the non-charged spouse will lawyer up and plead the fifth, and the cases get dismissed. So the, the reality is, is that Providence doesn't want to prosecute these 20 kids. It, it, it's a waste of their time. 
So when it's asked of them to drop the charges, they will. And do I think that's going to happen? Absolutely. But it, and the question then is, should the university be responsible for the cost for their motions to expunge or seal their record? Because once you've been charged, and even though it's been dismissed, it still sits there in the portal. You've had a hard time, though, finding out exactly what Brown's going to do. So the faculty member said, please do this. Doesn't look like Brown's at that point yet. No, not at all. And uh, just on Thursday, um, a, a campus safety officer, I'm told, actually dropped off these case packets with the Providence Police's prosecution unit. And these case packets have charging documents for each of the 20 students and police reports and supporting details. So it does not look, as of this week, like the school is going to make the slightest effort to drop these charges. I have asked a couple people uh, within the administration's communications office repeatedly who, uh, and it sounds like Lou has cleared this up, but whose uh, responsibility is it to decide whether to move forward? Uh, if they were not to move forward, who makes that choice? Who makes that call? Who contacts the police department? No answer, no clarification. What about the fact, I understand you don't think the arrests were, were right and probably shouldn't have happened, but now to go in and say, look, you were arrested, and then to say, let's drop this. I mean, I think of a younger generation, there are people who like, don't realize the internet is forever, right? And mm -hmm. this could be on their record. So that your actions have consequences. Do you think any of them thought, oh, we're getting arrested, it's not a big deal, or what? Listen, Ira Magaziner was arrested when he was a Brown. <laughs> Didn't the seem to hold him back from Didn't being in the Clinton him administration, back at right? all to be at the top layer of the Clinton administration. So, so this, in reality, is not going to, you know, really affect their careers in any way. But it's the principle of the thing, and and what's going to happen now? What is, what is the consequences of this? There will be more protests. If these students are charged, there will be bigger protests, there'll be bigger violations of the law, and then the administration is going to find themselves in a bigger issue and a bigger problem with more people just violating the, 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 the university's rules just basically to support the students. So it, it's a catch-22. You cannot win by charging them. You just can't. Just to put a button on this, if the kids were prosecuted, uh, they received the lightest sentence possible, which is uh, a filing. And if you behave yourself and you stay out of trouble for a year, that record gets dismissed and destroyed. Uh, so it, it's not going to affect their futures. Is, is so it? a filing, but, but it's not an expungement, is it? No. Uh, but because, so when somebody's going to look, and we've seen this, we'll get into this in a second, about the, some of the Harvard kids and the law the jobs being pulled, it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It just means when you say, do you have a clean criminal record a year from now, you can say, yes, I do, right? You, I have a clean criminal record, and it will be destroyed. It will not be on the portal that people can access. So it, it's almost cheaper for them to just enter a normal... Let it go, let it go through, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It'll be on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> X. Um, you know, there is a larger issue, though, Amy, across these, across these college campuses that the administrations are in a tough spot because what do you do? You have Palestinian students, you have Israeli students, and some of them have tried to thread the needle, but they've had some big donors who haven't really liked that.
on college campuses. Yeah, and, and I can't say I'm up to speed on what's going on, you know, outside the Providence bubble that we live in. Uh, you know, I feel like Brown has had such a hard time um, trying to get on the right side of this, trying to escape criticism, whether it be from people who are saying, hey, these kids, they do something, they got to learn there's a consequence, and then from other people who say, is this really that big of a deal? But of course, you're right, um, um, especially elite uh, college campuses across the country, you're seeing a lot of these political tensions play out uh, right at school, and, and administrations have to figure out how they're going to respond, and sometimes silence um, you know, it's a response in and of itself. Yeah, it, it seems like a lot of these college presidents are in a no-win situation, but maybe they should take a stand. You know, but you, you made a point when you were asking Amy, you know, a lot of students like from Harvard are being rejected for jobs that they've already been accepted. Premier law jobs. At the biggest firms in New York City. And once their names were made, they were doxxed. Their, their names were made public because actually they signed a petition. And they all have been rejected now by the firms that have agreed to hire them. So there are consequences for your actions. That's all. Was there a problem when universities divested from South Africa because of apartheid? <coughs> there wasn't, because there was this unanimity of, of, of ideas around uh, apartheid and the fact that colleges would make a statement. When it comes to Israel and Palestine, we have lost the nuance of this situation. If you support Israel's right to defend itself, you are all of a sudden anti-Palestine. If you support a ceasefire to provide humanitarian help to millions of innocent people and to stop the killing you of children, Hamas. you are supporting Hamas. Yeah. Uh, there is no nuance. You can have those two thoughts at the same time in your brain that, yes, Israel has a right to defend itself, um, but Palestinians have a right to life uh, and a right to a country and a right to control their own water. Uh, and, and those are the things that, you know, it really bothers me about this whole thing, that people don't, don't seem to understand the nuance that, that both things can happen at the same time. Uh, and that's what, by the way, what President Biden is trying to, the needle that he's trying to thread. And he's still having trouble. Yeah, too, uh, many, too many people think if you're pro-Palestinian, then you're pro-Hamas. Right. Hamas. And, and, and that obviously that's not true. Uh, but then again, there are a lot of people who are pro-Palestinian who are pro-Hamas. I Absolutely. mean, the Palestinians elected Hamas to run their government for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's kind of, they made a bad bed for themselves to live in. The other local angle was Providence City Councilman uh, Miguel Sanchez, uh, who was on Governor, he was on Governor McKee's staff, was at a protest. You set the table and what happened to him. And you had a chance to, to talk to him recently, right, to catch up with right. the councilman. Uh, both the councilman and the governor at another event. Um, so about a week ago, Councilman Sanchez was downtown by the Textron building, which has been the site of a lot of political action. Um, last week, there was a protest outside. And, uh, and just to set the table, he was working in Governor McKee's office. Right. Was saying things that were not on par with what Governor McKee was thinking. And so he got let go. 
Right. So kind of the backdrop to this is that he, uh, in addition to being in the council, had worked in the constituent affairs office for Governor McKee, and he was tweeting his opinions about the Israel-Gaza uh, situation, and he said that the U.S. was aiding in genocide, and he called for a ceasefire. And that tweet really put things over the top for Governor McKee. Um, Sanchez said that he was told by Governor McKee's office to tone things down before he was fired. Uh, he felt that he did tone things down, and then he said he was let go anyway in spite of that. And uh, so when I caught up with him at this recent protest, um, he had a Palestinian flag draped over his shoulders, and he basically indicated that this is his time to speak out. Uh, he said that he does have support from his council colleagues, and, uh, and that's the situation. But at this point, no job. <laughs> <laughs> right, not in the governor's office. Uh, he said that they wanted him to delete the tweet just to remove it completely from the record. Um, and in reality, you know, we have a right to speech. You know, you, you, your, your right to speech doesn't end because you have a job uh, in, in, in the government. Um, th this could have been handled so, so much better. Again, Miguel has 1,500 followers on X. Um, if they hadn't fired him, if this would have been just uh, calling him and say, listen, tone it down, you know, Make sure that you don't put anything else like that going forward because you have a job that represents me, the governor. That would have been the end of it. Now, he's on national news. <laughs> he's in the Washington Post. And those, I mean, he's everywhere. And it doesn't help the cause of the governor uh, at this point. It's almost like back in the day, Lou, when something was said, this was even before the Internet, you, people will be like, why didn't that celebrity file a libel suit? Because once the suit gets filed, then it becomes a big deal and everybody reports on it. To Pablo's point, 1,500 Twitter followers. But at the same time, he's an at-will employee. Exactly. And uh, <clears throat> two things here. In Rhode Island, we, the law is, unless you have a contract, a written contract, you are an at-will employee, which means you can be hired uh, or fired uh, at any time uh, for any reason or for no reason at all. And very simply put, uh, he was an at-will employee. So here's the kicker, though, and this is where I think he, the governor got some legal counsel. Uh, he said that uh, Sanchez wasn't fired for what the content of what he said, but it was for the distraction he caused to my office. So he's not saying that your free, free speech, speech is right. what got you in trouble here. Right. It's that you were just in my constituent affairs office, and you were a huge distraction. Do you sniff a lawyer drafting that? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> and, of course, there's less distraction now. Yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's geez, gotten even worse. Know. All right, let's do this. Uh, we have a couple other things to get to. Let's do outrageous and or kudos. Doctor, let's begin with you this week. Well, again, the death of nuance uh, with the Palestinian and Israeli situation, I think is absolutely atrocious that, People are ripping off the signs of kidnapped people in Israel. That doesn't show your humanity. That doesn't show your empathy. That shows that, that you are supporting the terrorists. When you rip those signs and, and rip the heart of the people that have lost their children, their family members, you know, to, to Hamas. Uh, and I don't understand how you can be a supporter of human rights for Palestinians, and at the same time, you rip those signs up. It's just atrocious. Mm. Amy, what do you have? 
I have a kudos for a, a local story here. Um, the Providence Streets Coalition, it's a local group that advocates for shared streets, for uh, safety for pedestrians and cyclists, et cetera. They got a bunch of data, 13 years worth of data from the city. Um, they fought the state for it, and the state had rejected their request, so they went to the city, crashed data. You're like, welcome to my world, trying to get <laughs> exactly. information, right? Well, I did the exact <laughs> same thing last year when I was uh, trying to get similar data, but it's crash data that shows what are the most dangerous areas specifically for pedestrians and cyclists. I think this is going to be a great resource for policymakers, for journalists like myself. Um, this group tweeted out, X'd out, whatever we're saying now. They shared the link on Twitter for anybody who wants to see it uh, on X, pardon me, um, and I think it's a really fabulous resource. You know, it's going to be a long time. It's like in Rhode Island. You talk about a landmark that was there 30 years ago. Twitter, it's going to take a little while to die. All right. But, yeah, that's a good one. Lou, what do you have? The mayor of New York, Eric Adams, uh, has already announced that they're down 3,000 police officers, uh, either through retirement, through illness, or just didn't want to work there anymore. And on top of that, they're also down a gazillion firefighters. Yesterday, he announced that because of the cost to provide care, food, medical coverage for all of the immigrants that have been shipped to New York, that he's cutting the budget mm. of the fire department and the New York Police Department. Uh, if it's not a rat hole now, Give it a year. Welcome welcome to governing as opposed to campaigning, exactly right? Exactly It's correct. a reality. Uh, we have about three minutes left. Amy, while we have you, we haven't really talked about the uh, buff chase and the tax break situation. A lot of you have been following it in the news. We haven't talked about it on Lively. So briefly set the table uh, about who buff chase is and the tax breaks, and now it's a part of a big legal battle in, in the court. Sure. So buff chase is a wealthy uh, developer here in Providence, and now 10 buildings he owns in the downtown area are the subject of scrutiny by the new city council. Um, he got tax breaks under a provision called eight law for these buildings. And for those who don't know, that is specifically for buildings that have affordable housing. The thing here is that his 10 buildings aren't 100% affordable. There's chunks of them that are affordable. He still gets these tax breaks from the city that will save him $42.5 million over 30 years. This That's was under the Alorza administration. Right, so this happened under the Alorza administration. Bear with me, it's a little complicated. Uh, turns out the city solicitor, he's still the solicitor, Jeff Dana, entered into the agreement that gave Chase the tax breaks pretty much on his own. He didn't get council approval. He didn't get tax assessor approval. No formal approval of that nature from these bodies. And now uh, this council wants to undo it. Is that what we would call fruits of the poisonous vine, Lou? Is uh, that the legal term? I think it goes deeper than that. I mean, he, Max Wistow, who is handling this case for the uh, City Council of Providence, is an excellent lawyer. And he files a 120-page brief with the court alleging that the city solicitor, Jeff Dana, is guilty of corruption. Now, again, I'm not getting into the weeds on this because there are two sides to every story. But it does sound like there's a case there. Pablo? Uh, I just want to be the devil's advocate for Buff Chase because of what he has done for the city of Providence. The city <clears throat> of Providence was pit uh, when I came here 38 years ago, and his more than $200 million investment in the city have, has transformed the downtown. Nonetheless, there are proper ways of getting 
this tax breaks. I got a tax break from the city of Pawtucket, and it took me years of meetings and going before the council and going before all sorts of committees. So everyone should go, should go through, the same, through the same process. And I mean, so bring me up to date on where it is legally now. So the judge is trying to weed through, were these proper, would they be, I mean, what's the end goal now of, of the litigation? Where does it stand in court? So the thing is, this judge doesn't even really need to decide whether it was right or whether it was wrong. His ask, it's, it's a very small burden he has, which is deciding whether he's going to grant the council's motion to intervene. And that means, uh, there's a lot of backstory here, these tax breaks came out of an old case, three-year-old case involving Chase. The settlement for that case was basically these tax breaks. Now the city council, legally, if they want to change it, undo it, they've got to intervene in that old case. So it has to go back to the city. Right. So um, basically that's where it stands. November 27th, the judge is going to make his decision. Great. Excellent. Folks, that is all the time we have. Lou, it's great to see you. Pablo, nice to have you back. And Amy, always good to see you. If you don't catch us Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, we archive all of our shows at ripbs.org lively. Check out our Facebook page and Twitter, should I call it X, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. If you can't watch us, just take us along with you wherever you go. We, a programming note, we are going to be off next week. Our team is off for Thanksgiving. We hope you have a great Thanksgiving holiday. And then we'll be back here in two weeks as the Lively Experiment continues. We hope you could join us then. Have a great weekend. Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, a Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.